and it just felt like at the end of Gary Patterson's tenure, things had just gotten a little bit stale. Needed a bit of a refresh, needed a little bit of an energy infusion, and that's exactly what Sonny Dykes has provided. What a year it's been for them. So in order to fully encapsulate the TCU story, you really kind of have to go back to when Sonny Dykes was hired. Always College Football with Greg McElroy is presented by AT&T 5G. Too much college football is never too much with AT&T 5G. Hello and welcome in. It is a Thursday edition of Always College Football. I'm Greg McElroy, along with me as always, Jack Foster and Mark Kubiak. Really appreciate you being with us from wherever it is you're coming to us from. We know after looking at our numbers, we got people from all over the country. We got people from all over the world. So we greatly appreciate your support of the program. And we look forward to continuing to interact with you via social media at always CFB and on email at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. Please continue to tell your friends too. Word of mouth is massive for us. Our marketing budget is a massive $0. So word of mouth is huge. We really appreciate you guys telling everybody about the show. Our numbers are going up. And we greatly appreciate your support and help with that. We have a great show in store for you today. We're going to do our third edition of our Throwback Thursday type of approach. Like We've gone through each playoff team up to this point. We've done Georgia. They let it off. They're the number one team. We did Michigan last Thursday. They're the number two team. Well, who's the number three team? The TCU Horned Frogs. We will break down their season in detail. Some key pieces, some important players, some notable trends, some notable storylines, a lot of things that we need to get to as we continue to march towards these college football playoff semifinal games coming up. That, and because we're in the thick of it, as you know, we're going to dive deep into some of the games coming up here in just a little bit. So let's not waste any time. It's time now for Let's Talk About It, presented by AT&T 5G. All right, let's talk about it. TCU, one of the great stories of the college football season. And it's really been something that we've kind of been all over all year long. Like we had Sonny Dykes on early in the year thinking, man, TCU might do some things. Now, full disclosure, I thought TCU would win nine games. I did not think TCU would be in position to make the college football playoff. I thought they'd be really good. I thought they'd overachieve. I thought Sonny Dykes hiring was the shot in the arm that the program needed. I love Gary Patterson. He's a terrific coach, has long been a terrific coach, has done it better than anybody in Fort Worth for the last two decades, got close to the playoffs on several different occasions. But this is a program that has been excellent and steady and predictable pretty much every year, it seems, for as long as I can remember. This is a really trustworthy program, and it just felt like at the end of Gary Patterson's tenure, Things had just gotten a little bit stale, needed a bit of a refresh, needed a little bit of an energy infusion, and that's exactly what Sonny Dykes has provided. What a year it's been for them. So in order to fully encapsulate the TCU story, you really kind of have to go back to when Sonny Dykes was hired. He, of course, stepped into a situation, was able to bring in a situation where you have a couple guys coming in the transfer portal, a couple guys that could be key pieces on the defensive side of the football. But ultimately, it was about hiring. And what did he do? He goes out and he hires one of the best offensive coordinators in America. If you look at what Garrett Riley's done up to this point, he's done a great job from a play-calling standpoint. Now, Sonny Dykes could call plays himself. He doesn't. He is willing to delegate 
that responsibility to Garrett Riley. What does that tell you about Garrett Riley and his acumen as a coach? Of course, we all know the story. He's Lincoln Riley's brother. He grew up in college football. And it's very, very obvious that he's probably going to lead his own program probably sooner than later. So Garrett Riley was really the foundation of what started this incredible charge into the college football playoff, culminating in the number three overall ranking. Let's go back to the first game of the year. Remember this, and if you don't think it's you know hard to be a coach and hard to evaluate your own personnel, well, just try this on for size. You realize that Max Duggan, that's right, Max Duggan, the Davey O'Brien Award winner, the Heisman Trophy finalist, he did not start the season opener for TCU. Why? Because Chandler Morris actually won the starting quarterback job. Chandler Morris took the field first against the Colorado Buffaloes. Didn't play great. Was okay. 13-20 for 111. But got a little banged up. Tweaked his knee towards the end of the game. In comes Max Duggan. And the rest is history. Hate so much for Chandler Morris that it happened the way it happened. Feel terrible for him. Felt terrible for him when it happened. He was in tears on the sideline. And I could remember watching that moment and having a visceral reaction to seeing that young man who'd worked so hard and ultimately won the job be sidelined under the circumstances, but can't do anything about it at this point. In comes Max Duggan and the rest is history. They dominated Colorado. Defense played great there, especially in the first half of that football game. Colorado couldn't get anything going, just a couple field goals there in the first half, and then they get a late touchdown that really didn't matter a whole lot. But ultimately, I mean, they scored that seven-point touchdown there with a minute 12 left. I mean, so it was really a 38-6 to six game until Colorado made it a little bit more interesting there at the very end. TCU then parlayed that into consecutive wins against Tarleton State and then against SMU. Now, SMU was a game that was going to be very interesting and one that we talked about extensively here on this show. Why? Because I'm from Dallas. I understand how big of a deal this is. <laughs> I understand how much these two teams loathe each other. SMU, the way TCU looks at it, they're the rich kids in Highland Park. TCU looks at Fort Worth as if it's just looking down its nose. Like it's just these, there's no love lost in this rivalry whatsoever. And then you add, in addition to, the fact that these two teams already hate each other, the fact that SMU's coach is now patrolling the sidelines of TCU, that's like throwing kerosene on top of what was an already lit fuse. So this didn't need a whole lot to get TCU going. This was a game, too, in which we looked at it. It's like, man, I don't know. SMU's pretty good. I mean, Tanner Mordecai's excellent. You thought, saw already that SMU had a couple of wide receivers that were starting to emerge as legitimate game-changing guys. But it wasn't the wide receivers for SMU. It wasn't the running backs for SMU, whether it was Siggers or Gardner, uh, Jake Bailey or Rasheed Rice there at wide receiver. Those guys were all outdone, and it was a collective effort for TCU. Now, it was a good performance by both running backs. DeMarcado went for two, uh, 64 yards. Kendrick Miller went for 142 but man, if you look at how they distributed the football in this game, this was when I was like, goodness gracious, I had no idea, I don't think anyone did, just how many weapons TCU had. Do you realize that 11 different players for TCU in this game caught passes? And this was a game, it's not like they were playing a bunch of backups. 
They won the game 42-34, scored 14 points after being shut out there in the third quarter, scored 14 points in the fourth quarter to ultimately pull away. But they were spreading and distributing the football like crazy. And this was the first time, too, when you looked at Max Duggan, was like, oh, boy, this guy could do some big things this year. But then again, it was still against SMU. SMU struggles defensively. We know that. So we looked at that 22 of 29 performance for nearly 280 and three touchdowns and said, man, that was a good, good, solid performance. But I don't think any of us could have anticipated what was coming here soon after that. But that was the first time TCU had to get up for a ball game because you know that you were going to get SMU's best shot. So you know you had to play at a really high level. That was the first time they had to really ramp it up. Then... Guess who they had coming to town the following week? That would be Oklahoma. Looking at Oklahoma, this was, I think, the national coming out party for TCU. A lot of people probably didn't pay as close attention as we did to TCU-SMU, but I can promise you they were paying attention when the 18th-ranked Sooners visited Fort Worth in what was supposed to be the first big test for the Horned Frogs. Well, not only did they pass that test, they passed that test with flying colors. They scored 27 points in the first quarter alone, then they backed it up with 14-point quarter performances in the second and third quarter to get out to a 55-17 lead before Oklahoma scored a touchdown there in garbage time in the fourth quarter. Not quite garbage time. There was 11 minutes left, but the game was clearly out of hand at that point in favor of the Horn Frogs. And you also remember in this game, not only did Max Duggan make himself known to the world, he went for 300-plus yards, also did a great job running the football as well. He had that big, long run down the right sideline for 70 yards. He finished with five carries, 160 yards to complement Kendry Miller, who had 13 carries for 136 yards. You had two ball carriers that averaged over 10 yards a carry, and then DeMarcado, he averaged eight yards a carry. So they were able to gash Oklahoma's defense we knew that Oklahoma's defense was probably going to be a little bit of an issue based on how they played the week before. They had just played Kansas State. that kind of gotten exposed. Then you looked at this game. They got exposed further. We were kind of still thinking, well, maybe Oklahoma's just really bad on defense. However, I think the big takeaway in this game, you started to see what TCU was capable of on the defensive side of the football. Johnny Hodges had 10 tackles in this game. D. Winters was very impactful, a couple sacks in the ball game as well, getting after Dylan Gabriel early, and then ultimately getting after Davis Bevel, who came in in relief because Dylan Gabriel was lost early in this football game. But you also got a little bit of a taste of what Travius Hodges Tomlinson was going to be out there on the perimeter as well, completely locking down the Oklahoma wide receivers, probably the most talented group that we thought that they had seen up to that point, and they were a non-factor in the game. So at this point, finally, people started to think, well, you know what? Maybe this TCU team is one that we need to be paying attention to. Remember, against Oklahoma, they were still unranked, even though they were 3-0 and and had won some pretty good games. After Oklahoma, however, that was the last time. They were not in the top 25. After that dominant win, they were up to number 17 in the country, and they traveled to Lawrence, Kansas, to face, at that time, the 19th-ranked Kansas Jayhawks. Remember, this was the destination for college game day. They went on the road into what was arguably the most chaotic environment that Kansas has had, and they absorbed Kansas's best punch. Now, 
They lost their quarterback, Jalen Daniels, early in the game. So in came Bean for Kansas, and he had a great day. He went 16 to 24 for 262 and four touchdowns, added some plays on the ground as well. But ultimately, man, in what became a shootout, TCU was able to weather the storm and, of course, come back the way they've done, felt like so many times this year, coming back there in the third quarter. They get down. Kansas starts the third quarter, 10 unanswered points. Sure enough, TCU finds themselves in a hole. They climb out of that hole rather quickly and pull away there at the very end on the heels to the Quinton Johnson touchdown to the back right of the end zone. Just a beautiful throw and catch from Max Duggan to drop it in the back and make an incredible play on it. So I thought that was a time in which, man, this is now three consecutive weeks in which TCU has to elevate their play. Had to do it against SMU, had to do it against Oklahoma, got elevated again against Kansas, especially where game day is going to be. Well, doesn't get any easier at that point. The following week, they had to ramp it up again. They played against Oklahoma State. Catching my drift here, there was a period of time in which they played four consecutive teams that were ranked in the top 25. This is the third of four. The Oklahoma State game might have been one of the craziest games of the regular season. There was a point in the game, you look at those ESPN win probability meters and whatnot, that it was actually better than 95% chance that Oklahoma State was ultimately going to win. Remember, they're sitting there. Max Duggan and company had had a bit of a struggle, and they were down at one point 30-16 to 16, heading into the fourth quarter. Well, in the fourth quarter, they completely shut down the Pokes offense, score 14 of their own to push it to overtime. And in a couple different overtimes, two overtimes to be exact, they ultimately did enough to overcome the Oklahoma State deficit. Kendrick Miller put the game on ice with that two-yard touchdown in the second overtime, and TCU somehow found a way to survive. So you're sitting there thinking, my goodness, man. You beat Oklahoma convincingly, hang on for dear life against Kansas, and then you somehow figure out a way to miraculously come back against Oklahoma State. Surely you can't do it again. No chance you can come back and do it again. No way, right? Well, wrong. Kansas State the following week, down 28 to 10 there after what was an incredible start for Kansas State. That's with eight minutes and nine seconds left in the second quarter, and the Wildcats are absolutely pounding the Horn Frogs. Well, that was the last we had heard from the Wildcats offense the rest of the game. The next 38 minutes of gameplay, they were completely shut out. TCU went on to score 28 unanswered points to ultimately win the game 38 28. And Max Duggan did what Max Duggan does, continued to be extremely efficient in the passing game. And Kendry Miller, you saw just how he was able to complement that passing attack as well. His breakout games were only at that point just getting started. They somehow find a way. Then they go on the road to West Virginia. And you're thinking, well, maybe this is the week. On the road, difficult environment. West Virginia is not great. Kind of desperate playing for their coach. West Virginia's three and four, welcoming TCU in town. And you're looking at the line that's like, oh man, I don't know. TCU's only a seven point favorite. That line stinks. Well, they go on the road. West Virginia, of course, scores first. West Virginia gets out to a little bit of an early lead. There, they enter into the fourth quarter yet again. TCU down 28 24. Well, TCU goes on to outscore West Virginia 41-31 overall 
and the fourth quarter performance in which they outscored West Virginia 13-7 to is ultimately what led to them pulling away. So it was really an impressive, impressive performance from TCU there in the final period of the game. But either way, man, very, very good stuff from TCU at this point. Continuing on, Texas Tech, they go and get an impressive victory. Not their best offensive performance, but a solid one nonetheless. And then against Texas on the road, you're sitting there thinking, my goodness, this is finally when it's going to come to an end, right? No way TCU is going to be able to match the physicality of the Texas Longhorns. Texas is really physical. Texas is excellent on the defense side of the football. I don't think TCU is going to be able to hold up in this game. Advantage Longhorns. TCU's magical run is likely going to come to an end. Well, they taught us this in this game. Not only can they win games offensively with dynamic offense and great playmakers on offense, Kendrick Miller, Johnson, and all these other great, incredible players, DeMarcado. I mean, you name it, they got dudes on offense. We all knew that. Wiley, <laughs> Tay Barber, they have guys offensively. But this was probably the first game in which it's like, all right, well, if the offense doesn't show up, if the offense struggles, can they still win against quality competition? Not only can they, but they dominated Texas. If you look at how they matched and exceeded Texas's physicality, remember they held Texas to under 200 yards of offense, completely bottled up Bijan Robinson, held them to just 1.3 yards per carry. Bijan had 12 carries for 29 yards. It was really impressive how they just completely clamped down along the line of scrimmage, and on those wide receivers on the perimeter. So this was an incredible game. And then maybe the closest call of them all the following week because you thought, hey, on the road at Texas, ABC primetime game, surely you're going to have a bit of a letdown as you go kind of to sleepy Baylor, play an 11 o'clock start. This is definitely going to be where they slip up and stub their toe, right? Not so fast, my friend. Yeah, it was looking real glim. Like I've said, the probability meter of a win for Baylor at one point exceeded the 92% threshold. That was with about eight minutes left there in the fourth quarter when Baylor had a comfortable 28-20 to 20 lead. That was with nine minutes and 47 seconds left when they took that eight-point lead. Well, what did they do? DeMarcado goes right down, scores that touchdown. They fail on the two-point conversion to tie it up, but they get it back, and they go 45 yards to get Griffin Kell in field goal range. They run in the Hurricane field goal. I believe they called it the Bazooka field goal. That's their terminology. And Griffin Kell nails it to give them the one-point winner on the road, thinking, my goodness, man, these team needs to go to Vegas. They are so dang lucky. They dominated Iowa State and then came back against Kansas State and played a really good football team in Kansas State. And Kansas State finally exacted some revenge. They were the Big 12 champions, and they were better that day for the most part. Tay Barber got off board early, had that one yard touchdown on the first drive of the game, or first couple drives of the game. And then Kansas State kind of figures things out a little bit. It was looking real glim. It looked as if Kansas State might run away with it when they went that 28 17 lead with about 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter. But of course, TCU does what they always do they answer 10 play drive, 51 yards. Griffin Kell kicks a 42 yard field goal, makes it, an, makes it a uh, eight point game. And then sure enough, Max Duggan, he goes in there, scores on the eight-yard touchdown run, and they get the touchdown conversion to Wiley to set it to overtime where they ultimately came up just a little bit short. Either way, TCU belongs. They deserve it. They're resilient. 
and they have found many, many ways to win this year. And I know they might not necessarily hold up great against Michigan's rushing attack, but if they can create some big plays downfield, like they have all season long, I think they have a real chance to make it a highly entertaining game there in Phoenix from the Fiesta Bowl. This episode is brought to you by AT&T, official sponsor of the college football playoff. Is checking your team's stats at 2 a.m., watching highlights while eating with buddies, or catching the game during a wedding all too much? Nope, because too much college football is never too much. And AT&T 5G keeps you connected all season long. 5G requires compatible plan and device. 5G may not be available in your area. See att.com slash 5G for you for details. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence, the confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and the fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. All right, the Union Home Mortgage Gasparilla Bowl, that is tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN. Should be an excellent game. Two intriguing stories and two teams that at times this year looking very, very good, at other times very, very bad. Wake Forest taking on Missouri. Now, Wake Forest, it's their seventh consecutive season in which they are appearing in a bowl game under Dave Clawson. That's pretty dang impressive. They are 4-2 and two in bowl games, I might add. That's the longest streak in program history, I might add. Also, they are also 1-2 and two against SEC teams in their previous bowl matchups. A win now, the second most wins in the last 15 seasons. Now, in 2021, they, of course, had 11 wins, but... Having eight-plus wins in back-to-back seasons will be the first time they've done that since 2006, 2007, and 2008. That was back in the Jim Grobe era. So it's been a while since they've been able to back things up like this. Of course, that's in victory. They are 7-5 and five right now, but 8-5 and five in victory would be a pretty dang good year. Almost historically great setup over the last two seasons for Wake Forest. Missouri, on the other hand... There have been moments in which you're watching Missouri, it's like, dude, that is a team you don't want to mess with along the defensive front, along the offensive line. They have that stretch zone play that gets going pretty good, not bad. I'm telling you, Missouri is one of those teams you just never know really what you're going to get. They're sometimes like, all right, that team's they're starting to get it going a little bit. Go take care of business against South Carolina. We all know what South Carolina's become. And then you see them just be flat at other times as well. So Missouri against Kansas State, for instance, earlier in the year. Missouri is just one of those teams where you just have a difficult time kind of putting your finger on as to why, but they're not a team I trust a whole lot. Either way, a win would give them their first winning record since 2018. They went eight and five, five years ago when they did that. They've lost three straight bowl games. That's the longest losing streak since losing seven bowl appearances in a row. Those were their first seven Bowl appearances. Only won one bowl game against the ACC. That was back in 2011 against North Carolina. I think this game's really going to come down to the line of scrimmage. Sam Hartman is incredible for Wake Forest. We know that. Very accurate, great quarterback, great feel and understanding of the offense. 
gets the ball out of his hands rather quickly, especially as he makes those decisions on that slow mesh ride that they use offensively. But man, he can really thread the needle and did so so many times. If you don't believe me, check out the Clemson game, man. He made some throws in that game that most quarterbacks can't pull off. But it's really about will they be able to protect him? Because if you look at Missouri's front defensively, that's probably the best attribute that they have. So if they can disrupt and get this offensive line kind of moving around and on different levels, their athleticism and movement and power can definitely make Missouri or definitely make, excuse me, Wake Forest a little bit one dimensional. So I think it's really about how Wake Forest offensive line plays against Missouri's defensive line. If they play well, Wake Forest wins. If they don't play well, I think Missouri wins. I think they're going to play well. I like Wake Forest, but I expect it to be pretty dang close. And then moving on to the Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl. This game is tomorrow at 3 o'clock Eastern time on ESPN. Right there in the hardest report, I played in this bowl game twice, and I don't think there's been any more games that have had different sponsors than the Independence Bowl. Now it's Radiance Technologies. When I was in school, it was the Petro Sun. When Booger McFarland was in school, it was the Poulain Weed Eater Bowl. They've had a bunch. So either way, the Independence Bowl, always an exciting game. You get Louisiana this year against Houston and two teams that would love to finish their season on a high note. Houston's the better team. We'll leave it at that. They are the better team, but their defense at times has really, really struggled. Check the SMU game if you don't believe me. And if you look at where they're at, if they can win this game, Houston, eight plus wins in back-to-back seasons for the first time since when they won four straight years winning eight or more games from 2013 to 2016. They're six and three all time against Louisiana. And really the straw that stirs the drink for Houston is Clayton Toon. 37 passing touchdowns is tied for the most in the FBS. He's also fourth in college football when it comes to his passing yards per game. He sits at 320 passing yards per game. One of the best in America and has been for a while. Top six in program history and passing yards and touchdowns and has 926 career completions. That's 26 behind Kevin Call for the second most all time. So it's a really impressive career that he's been able to put together and could cap it off with a really good win against Louisiana. Nathaniel Dell is his go-to guy at wide receiver, ranks in the top three in the FBS in receptions, has 103 on the year. He also is top three in yards. He has nearly 1,400 yards at 1,354, and he's got 15 touchdowns, which is tied for the most in college football. He can move into the top three in program history and receiving yards this season, he's 102 away. So if he gets off for a couple big plays, like he has a real tendency to do, he could find himself as an all-time great receiving season there for the Houston Cougars. Louisiana, on the other hand, a loss would give them their first losing season since 2017. That's tied for the most losses that they've had since 2015. Right now, they are f- uh, six and six, but obviously six and seven would be a huge issue. But in 2015, they went four and eight. So either way, if they win. It'd be a six-win decrease from the previous season. That's the largest since reclassifying to the FBS in nearly 50 years, back in 1974. They went from seven wins that year to one win. So either way, uh, and, and that was obviously a long time ago. So it would be... That's only in victory too. So it just goes to show you how much attrition 
Louisiana has had from last year to this year. Either way, they have plenty of motivation coming into this game, whereas I don't know as much about Houston. When you're in Shreveport, man, Louisiana, a lot of kids that are from the Shreveport area, a lot of kids from Monroe, a lot of kids from New Orleans, a lot of people on that roster that are from the state of Louisiana and have a chance to play in front of their home crowd should be a fairly significant advantage in the stands for the Ragin' Cajuns. I still think Houston has more talent, and I like the combination that involves both Toon and Dell at wide receiver. I think those are the two that give them the boost. I like Houston to take care of business and knock off Louisiana in what should be a pretty exciting, high-scoring, hopefully, Independence Bowl. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, putting a bow on the show here on a Thursday edition of Always College Football. We really appreciate you being with us. We hope that you've enjoyed bowl season up to this point. Y'all, we're about to hit our stride. We have a few games coming up, obviously, these next couple days. Things that we're all looking forward to, but y'all, next week, it starts to get ridiculous. I can't wait to get into next week, start looking ahead, start diving into some of these matchups, big ones. I mean, the Alamo Bowl is one of my favorites. You got a bunch of other games that are also very intriguing. Can Florida State keep the pedal pressed? Once you get beyond Christmas, we have lots of exciting stuff to look forward to. So we will be here with you to get you prepared for each and every day of the college football season remaining this year. We don't have many days left, so we're just going to savor each and every day, and I know you guys will too. So we really appreciate you being with us. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Jack Foster and Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. We hope you have a wonderful day. This has been Always College Football with Greg McElroy, presented by AT&T 5G. Too much college football is never too much with AT&T 5G.